How strong is your faith? When we consider where we are, we know that life sometimes ebb and flows. There are things that come along that challenges us and we look at this concept of faith. I came across a definition a, a short while ago and it is, it is stuck with me. Hebrews 11 and 1 in the New King James, it uses the word conviction. And the definition of faith as I came across was overwhelming convincing in that something convinces us and it's not that we're just on that bubble and we could be persuaded either way, but we're off that bubble and now we're convicted. And we're on that side that we are fully believing. But we know there are sometimes things that can tug at us and perhaps pull us back toward that other side. There's an interesting text, and we want to look at this and take it actually a little bit out of context. After Christ uh, was crucified... We know that He appeared to many individuals afterward, including the eleven. One of those was Peter. Our text, if you will, comes in John chapter 21. Right after the crucifixion, Christ again had appeared to His disciples. And then we read in chapter 21, after the, that these things, Jesus manifest Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias mattered himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel and others were together. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Who's going with me? We don't really know what's going through Peter's mind. I am not necessarily suggesting that Peter said, I quit. But there was something in Peter's mind. Perhaps it was the weight of everything that was going on. We know that Peter and the others, many of them were fishermen. Perhaps he was just needing to refocus and get away from everything that had just transpired in a very short period of time. Peter basically, after all of these things, said, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going with you. <laughs> they got on a boat and they went fishing. We're going to come back to that here in a little bit. So there's that concept, and again, I want just in our mind, again, taking a little bit out of context a little bit, that Peter perhaps, I don't think he was, Peter perhaps was persuaded at least for a moment to go back to his, to his former life, that, that that faith was a little bit questioned. There's another example in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, or actually Luke chapter 24, sorry. In Luke chapter 24, there's a story of two individuals that had been around at the crucifixion. They had seen the trial. They had seen all of these events take place. And they were walking back on the road to Emmaus. They were talking about one another. We read in verse number 13 and following. And Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were walking... And it happened as they were walking and conversing, verse 15, and debating, Jesus Himself approached, again, this is after the resurrection, Jesus Himself approached and was walking with them, but their eyes prevented them from recognizing Him. They didn't recognize Him as Christ. He said, what were these words you were discussing with one another when you were walking? And they stood still and looked sad. 
They were reminiscing of what had just happened and what they had seen. Things had not gone the way they had expected. So let's again recall just a few of the things. We'll revisit some of these shortly. That Christ appeared on the scene. He's going to be a king. And they had this idea of what a king would be and a kingdom and the prophecies, except it didn't really happen the way they thought because this king was killed. This king was crucified. And this, this, this concept of a kingdom really didn't start coming together the way they had expected. And you remember, even some of the disciples, some of the apostles, when Christ reappeared, are you going to now build your kingdom? They were a little confused by all this. And so these two individuals... We're trying to put some things in order. One of them's name was Cleopas. He answered and said unto him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that don't know what just happened? <laughs> if you don't know what just happened, you are the only individual in the city that don't know <coughs> what just happened. Jesus said, what things? And they began to go through and talk to him about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet indeed, and in word, and in the sight of God, and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They had a plan, they had an idea that it was going to be Christ that was going to take Israel literally, physically, and make a nation out of them as, quote, was promised to Abraham. They had the idea. And besides this, it's the third day since all of these things has happened, and some women went to the tomb, and, and he's gone, he's disappeared, and so there are a lot of... We've just got to... We're going home. We're going home. And so they were trying to sort through some things perhaps similar uh, to Peter. And we can continue reading. Uh, Christ went home with them. They still didn't recognize them. And as the text actually begins to bring out, it says, O foolish ones, verse 25, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things? And he continued and began with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he was going to go farther, but they entreated him to stay with them. Christ stayed with them and in the midst of sitting down and, and visiting with them and I believe sharing a meal with them, their eyes were open and they realized... It was Christ. So in their mind, they, were, they too had kind of sort of gone fishing. So we started with the question, where is our faith? One of the questions that, that I ponder, can we sometimes lose where we are? How many times have we come through the door and we've sat and we've sang Amazing Grace and we've heard sermons and we've heard prayers and we take the bread and the fruit of the vine and you know, it just, just doesn't mean as much as it should. That's what it is we want to focus on. That's what it is we want to talk about. 
The good news, the glad tidings that at one time had such an appeal to us that we walked down the aisle and we were immersed in water. And we had this sensation and we had this belief and we were so excited and we were a little bit scared of all the things that we don't know. And and somewhere along the way, we kind of... Not that we've slipped completely, but we're maybe just a little bit more challenged. We're not coming from the hard-hitting side of backsliding and apostasy and how it would be better for them never to have heard than to have heard and gone back. The, the, The pig wallowing in the mire or the dog returning to that which it had just thrown. We're not, we're not going there. We're going a slightly different direction in our lesson this morning. And that concept that we can go back and we can visit, there's a term that was used in that Paul said, hold firmly. Hold firmly that which you have heard. And I believe this is brought out in... Uh, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I proclaim is good news to you. Which also you have received and which also you stand. You know these things. I proclaim to you the good news by which some of you also were saved, if you hold fast the word which I proclaim to you as good news, unless you have believed in vain, or unless you believe for nothing. This good news, unless for some reason you lose, you lose that grip. For I delivered to you, As of first importance, what also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, as He told the two walking to Emmaus. That it was according to the plan, still trying to establish this concept of a kingdom, a little bit different than you were thinking it was going to be. This was the plan of how that it was established, even in the old scriptures and prophecy that Christ would die and that He would be buried and that He would be raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Afterward, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain but now, but some have fallen asleep. After He died... And He was resurrected. He appeared to the twelve. And He appeared to five hundred, many of which are still around today. They are eyewitnesses to Him being resurrected. After that, He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as an untimely born, He appeared also to me. I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. That same word He used earlier. That grace that He showed to me is not a bad investment. It is not empty. It is not worth 
anything. It's not isn't worth nothing. It is worth something. He did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So what we are looking at this morning is trying to reestablish, trying to be certain that we are more than just convinced, that we are overwhelmed by the convincing. I proclaim the news to you as good unless you have believed for nothing. Verses 3 and 4. Christ died. We know that. We know that. But do we completely comprehend? Are we at a point that perhaps we've lost a little bit of what it means when we take the emblems? Let's talk just a little bit about the Lord's Supper. We know what a memorial is. You go places like Washington, D.C., and you start walking around. There are statues. Uh, there are walls of, of names, all erected so we don't forget. A memorial is there to remind us of something. But when this memorial was established, it wasn't a figure it wasn't the symbol of the cross that a lot of people used to remember it. But the emblems that were put forth put us in a place that we participate. We don't just think positive thoughts and ponder back in our mind of what it was like. We're participants. We don't want to over-exaggerate. But it's not that we just have the mental state. We actually participate. And going through that, it can, it doesn't have to. But if we allow it and our mind goes where it should, we're not just thinking, we actually, there, there are components, there are physical parts of this memorial that should have significant meaning to us. Unless we've slipped. Unless perhaps it has, it has begun to not have the impact that it should. So that's what it is we want to talk about this morning. In Luke chapter 2, we could go back. We could go back and read through two chapters and remind us of each step. Actually, it's a very interesting lesson to go back and see how many laws they broke, how many rules they ignored in order to accomplish this, like having a trial at night. You're not supposed to have trials at night. You're supposed to have it in broad daylight where people can see. So a number of things were accomplished, a number of things were ignored in order for them to fulfill. We're not going to go through all. We could. But just as a quick reminder, as we remember there was a plot that the people were against Christ. He was beginning to stir. He was beginning to cause a stir among the people. They were preparing for this 
annual feast. It was a very big feast. That was going to cause a little bit of issue when they were trying to have this trial and everything. While this feast was going on, the Lord's Supper was established as, as they were having the one of the many feasts uh, of the Passover. And therefore, some of the emblems were already there. That was established And as he began to talk about how it was that he had to suffer these things, that the disciples were a little confused. Lord, say it's not so. Peter's denial was predicted. We talked a little, Peter was kind of always out there speaking sometimes before he thought, Lord, I will never deny you. Well, actually, you're going to deny me three times pretty quickly there. He then goes to the Mount Olive and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayer. And that's where we read of the prayer that Christ uttered. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And we can go back and we can read of the anguish and the impact as Christ began to comprehend what was coming His way. We read that sweat as drops of blood began to fall to the ground. I have to get into, was that actually blood? Doesn't matter. But he was praying at such a level, either it was really hot and humid, or there were some things going on physiological with his body. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pay. Three times, and then he said something. Nevertheless, now my will with yours. This has to happen. This has to happen. He came back and he was betrayed for silver by Judas. The high priest, servant, come to take him away. And Peter wasn't going to let that happen. Bad aim. Servant lost his ear. Christ put his ear back on. Peter denied. Then they began to mock him. He took him to the council took him to Pilate, Pilate not not really wanting the blood on his hands, so to speak, sent him to Herod, and we see that there was a cry of the people. That it wasn't that all of these things were actually taking place. This is in Luke 22, not Luke 2. Getting a number of scriptures in the wrong place this morning. There were people, number of people, as they were trying to convince them, this man has done no wrong, crucify him. And you can almost begin to see the chant starting relatively low in a rumble until it turned into nothing but a roar of overwhelming crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they did. They did. The Scriptures bear out the process of Him dragging the cross and and the beating that He took to a point that He was so weak that He couldn't carry the cross. The process of nailing Him to the cross. All of the things that transpired there. There's one thing left out in this narrative that I want to focus on that often gets overlooked by... A lot of the things that are transpiring. And that one thing is, I believe, if we can focus on it for just a little bit of time, can bring us back. What is that one thing? 
It was customary that during this time of year, they let an individual go free. That they would find a prisoner and part of this passing over and allowing the the children, uh, the firstborn to survive, that representative of that, they would free a prisoner to live his life free. And so it was a part, it was an obligation, Luke 23 brings out, verses 17 and following, that it was an obligation for them to release a prisoner. In Luke 23, verses 17, He was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner, Herod. But they, the people, all cried together, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. So Herod was going, Hey, it is customary for us to release a prisoner. We're going to release Jesus because he's really not done anything wrong. No, you release Barabbas. Why Barabbas? Because everybody knows who Barabbas is. Barabbas was the prisoner that was notorious, Matthew says, that he was a rebel and a murderer, Mark says. Rebel and a murderer, Luke says. A robber, John says. Pilate, Herod, was very reluctant, very reluctant to release Barabbas, one, he was known, and two, they were still trying to get Christ off the hook. To the point the people said in Matthew's account, you release Barabbas. This man, Jesus, you put his blood on us. You put his blood on us and our children And I believe it said, no, it doesn't say our grandchildren. His blood be on us and our children. If this is wrong, we'll take the responsibility. They were pretty adamant. His blood be on us. So Pilate offered them a choice. You release a man that has no guilt, has done no wrong, has done right in the sight of the people. You yourselves have seen Him going about doing good. We release Him or we release this notorious, rebellious, murderer, stirring up people, prisoner. You release to us Barabbas. You release to us Barabbas. First Peter says, For Christ also suffered for sins one for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Exchange. So that He might bring you to God. That relationship that they were confused about. That He may bring you to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. That he suffered for the sins of the like of Barabbas. 
And when he said on the cross, the last statement, it is finished. There likely was a glorious cheer by the people that finally got what they had wanted. It was indeed finished. But we know that what Christ was saying was the plan, the prophecies. Since the beginning of time, all throughout time, these things were set into motion. And at the right time, Christ or God sent His only begotten Son to go through. And the plan was finished. He bowed His head and He gave up the Spirit. Price paid in full. We know Christ was taken off the cross and put into the tomb. What about Barabbas? Forget about Barabbas. We don't need to forget about Christ, certainly. Barabbas is not mentioned again. Barabbas is a free man. He goes home. He sees family that thinks they're never going to see him again because he's locked up in prison. He possibly has a bath for the first time in how long? From that day forward, we don't know what happened to Barabbas. But we know that he had stories to tell. We know that in the back of his mind, possibly he believed. We don't know. We don't know. As Christ the Son of the Father, as He faced the sentence that He knew was coming, just beginning to sense just how bad it was, the pain and suffering He would endure, the weight that was on His shoulders. And then there was Barabbas, who had no weight. There was Barabbas. History leaves it blank as to what happened. He received undeserved favor, grace, mercy. He was pardoned while another individual took the sentence off of him. Barabbas was released from custody. The chains were released, unlocked. A condemned criminal is freed. And Christ, the Son of God, is persecuted. And again, we don't know exactly what happened. What we do know is that His fate changed with one decision. His fate, the rest of His life, changed through the acts of one individual. So we started with this concept of gospel. And as we talked about in Bible class this morning, good news, glad tidings. Not for everybody. It's not good news and glad tidings for all. For some, similar to those that were present at Christ, it's not what they want. They don't like some of the thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots that is brought forward in the law. Peter talks about this. 
We read in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle. Remember Peter? To those who reside as exiles, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, who are chosen. So he's speaking to individuals that had accepted, that believed, that their faith was there. He's speaking to the followers of Christ. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Christ Jesus and the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. An introduction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, King James says, abundant. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His plan, His abundant mercy has led us, has caused us to be born again. The terminology that is used, born again, starting over as though you didn't exist before. Kind of like Barabbas. That has led us to a point that we can start completely over in life regardless of who we were before. That's the plan. Through the resurrection that had just happened not too long prior, of Jesus Christ from the dead. He continued, to obtain an inheritance. That's where the challenge was. When a king comes in, he takes the throne and thinking of Rome back at this period of time, everybody wanted to be a Roman because membership had its privileges. And that's what a king does. He comes in and he establishes his throne and he begins to wield his power and gets more and more and more. And to be a part of that kingdom is great. That wasn't the kingdom that Christ came to establish. That's the kingdom that Peter is referencing to an inheritance that's not here. (laughs) The way the kingdom was established through God's plan and through the giving of His Son was right the opposite of what man anticipated. A king doesn't die. A king is exalted. And so the plan was almost upside down. In that order to be a part of this kingdom, it's not about what is on this earth, but it's about separating yourselves. And it's about not getting so caught up in the desires and the thoughts of what this world has to offer. That's good news, unless you're really caught up in what the world has. The good news is that there is an inheritance, Peter said, in corruptible. You can go visit Rome and look at the former kingdom and all of its glory and the Colosseum that they have to do patchwork on continually to keep it from falling down because it's corruptible. Peter talks about a 
crown, a kingdom, an inheritance, incorruptible, which is enough. But then he added more to it to be sure the point was home. To obtain an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. After this life, not during this life. If you recall when Christ was here and He went about performing all the miracles, typically with the miracle He would leave them a little something to think about. And it was those lessons, they were all about the miracles. But if, we, if you recall going back as Christ had cast out two demons... There were two individuals that had demons and were in the mountains and he put the demons in the swine and the swine ran off the cliff and word got back to the city of what Christ had done. You remember what they said? Get out. Why? These miracles and all you're performing is great, but this take up our cross and follow you, we're not going to have any of that. Because he had said, let the dead bury their dead. He had said a number of things that had kind of crossed their expectation of how this should go. And so you can take the high road out of town. There's no place here. It wasn't good news for everyone. And Peter was reminding those in the region that he was speaking about. That there is... An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, reserved, who are protected by the power of God through, there's that word, faith. Conviction. Overcoming, overwhelming confidence. That's our part. Who are kept by protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, and if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Some of those trials Christ was speaking of. Some of those trials they didn't want to hear about and told Him to leave. And many of these letters, that's what we read, that you are going through. He continued talking about the proof of your faith, more precious than gold, which is perishable. And he continues with that. In 2 Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians, very similar, chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God to you, brothers, as, in only, as is only fitting, because your faith is growing abundantly. Faith, there that is. They've got a firm grasp. They're holding tight and it's growing. And the love of each one of you all toward one another increases all the more. So that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all the persecutions and afflictions which you endure that Christ told them they would, that would take place. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy in the kingdom of God. 
for which indeed you are suffering. You see how that difference in the kingdom they wanted? We would be protected by the armies and the powers from bad things happening unto us. And practically every letter starts with, your faith is known around the region because of the persecutions you are enduring. That's not the kingdom. That's not good news for some. But there were others that understood that. Since it is right for God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to give rest to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with His mighty angels. Not this life. This life proved what could be done to a human being through the Son of God. Not in this life. But the word that is being told to them is, Vengeance is coming. With His mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those two groups of people here, on those who do not know God, and those who will not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two groups of people. Those that have never obeyed, and those that did obey at one time but refused to follow any more. It wasn't that the people didn't accept Christ as the Son of God. They didn't want Him as a king ruling them. Oh, all the blessings and feeding the 5,000 and, and healing the sick. Please, stay a while. You want to be Lord of my life and tell me how I got to live? You can leave. Executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Shocker, that's where they want to be. That's a harsh statement. You, you can't say that, that, that anybody wants to go to hell. I didn't say that. I said they don't want to be in the presence of God. Ain't got time for that. Ain't got time for these things if we can make that fit into my life. And so that's the choice they have made. I don't want to be a part of this whole Religious thing involving Christ as Lord and King and bow down and, and worship and follow Him. Okay. That's a choice. That's a choice. And you won't have to. <laughs> Ever. You will not be made. Even Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yes. At one time. It's good news for some, but not so good news for others, I guess depending on your perspective. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled and among all who believed, not everybody, all who believed for our witness to you. To this end we pray for you always, which is where we started, that our God will count you worthy of your calling. You were a good investment. You were a good investment. 
and fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness and the work of your faith with power. And at the same time, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you, and you in Him. We miss that. Go back and catch that. Christ died, rose, stayed on earth for a little while, ascended back to the Father. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you. And you, in Him, your name will be glorified in Him to His Father. Forget that. We forget that. We're here on this earth just trotting along. And Christ left us. I'm going fishing. Haven't you heard what happened to the Son of God? Let's recall that. The name of our Lord be glorified in you, and your name be glorified in Him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Once a week we partake of the emblems of the Lord's Supper. There are things that happen in our life that sometimes cause us to question. Is it worth it? Paul said, be careful that you don't receive the grace as an empty or a bad investment. God, through His infinite wisdom in many different ways, establishing the Word that we have that encourages us, establishing an organization, if you will, that comes together periodically with like-minded individuals to worship Almighty God. That we have the avenue of prayer to make our petitions known to our God. We have Christ, His Son, sitting on His right hand, and as we read, that is interceding on our behalf. Part of God's plan. But there are times that we can slip. But God has established so many things. And we have that one example. If all else fails in my mind, Barabbas. Barabbas. As that example of an individual who deserved absolutely nothing other than what he was getting. And he was set completely free. That is the gospel plan. That is the good news. If you might be here and you are not a part of that plan, this plan is not necessarily about what this earth can give us, but what we are planning for in the inheritance that is coming ahead. If you are here and subject to that call, as God bid you come, we stand and sing the song of encouragement.